Can you be Jewish and believe in Jesus? Do those two things go together? If you go up to your typical American Jew and say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? They're going to look at you and they're either going to laugh or they're going to look very nervous or maybe they'll even be a little offended and say, no, I'm Jewish. If Jesus said, I and the Father are one, at that point, for a Jewish person who believes God exists, you're at a fork in the road because he's either telling the truth, which he would have to prove, or he's a heretic. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm Ezra Benjamin. And I'm Carly Berna. And we're your co-hosts of this podcast. And Carly, this is actually our first full episode of the podcast. We're diving right in here, uh, feet first into some beefy content. But before that, let's just take a few minutes and explain for our listeners uh, why we're doing the podcast in the first place. Uh, as we as we have established and as we'll unpack in these episodes, I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus and you are non-Jewish or Gentile and you're a Christian. And uh, we have lots to discuss along those lines, partially because we want to understand and discuss what is it that brings us together? Obviously, our faith in Jesus and our beliefs about what God's doing in the world, but also within kind of the body of believers, or uh, we commonly use the term the church worldwide, there are distinctives. Uh, you know, Jesus prayed for unity. He didn't pray for uniformity. And so another part of what we're going to discuss is what distinguishes us one from another, the Jewish community that believes in Jesus and the Gentile community, which also identifies themselves as followers of him. So lots to unpack here, the similarities and the distinctives, and we're excited to do that. Um, we also want to talk about current events and what our understanding of what God's doing with Jewish and non-Jewish people around the world has to do with the headlines we're seeing online or uh, listening to other podcasts talking about. There's no shortage of those in what really feels like unprecedented times, but we want to unpack those through the lens of what exactly is it that God's doing with Israel and the Jewish people, and what does that have to do with the church? those who call themselves followers of Jesus around the world in America and beyond. So today, Carly, we're going to jump right in uh, with misconceptions Christians have about Jewish people. You want to unpack that a bit for us? Yeah, before I do that, I just want to say it's exciting to finally be here. I feel like it's months and months of preparation and probably even years of us talking about how there's this gap in the place that we want to fill by offering our two different perspectives. Um, if if you want more information about that, we actually recorded a really short episode. It's only about seven minutes long. We call it episode zero. You can uh, get it back on wherever you are listening to this podcast that just explains a little bit more about both of us, what we have in common, what's different, and what we're going to be talking about. So uh, that's a great episode to catch if you want more information. But like Ezra said, we're going to start by talking about common misconceptions today that Christians might have about Jewish people. So if you're a Christian, you might have some thoughts about what a Jewish person is or have some questions about how it relates to Christianity. So those are the things we're going to talk about today. And then next week, we're going to flip it. And Ezra is going to be talking about common misconceptions that Jewish people might have about Christians. And we're going to answer those questions. So we'll start with Ezra on the hot seat first. <laughs> it's Carly's turn to play hardball. Next week, it's mine. So all right, yeah. I'll, I'll take the bait. Exactly. Ezra has a just brewed fresh pot of coffee to get him going for this episode. It's true. Um, if you hear slurping throughout this or other episodes, forgiveness, please. I can't stop. Yes, exactly. So let's discuss. So um, we're going to start by just one of the biggest misconceptions is, can you be Jewish and believe in Jesus? Do those two things go together? 
Right. It's a great question. And it's a bit of a circular argument, Carly, within the Jewish community. Um, if you go up to, I'm going to say your average, and we'll unpack what I mean by your average or your typical American Jew and say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? And they're going to look at you and they're either going to laugh or they're going to look very nervous or maybe they'll even be a little offended and say, no, I'm Jewish. And you say, OK, well, what does it mean to be Jewish? And the answer might be something like, well, it means we don't believe in Jesus. Right. And you say, OK, but why don't you believe in Jesus? And the answer, again, is because we're Jewish. And you can see, you know, round and round we go. But trying to get off that rat wheel for a minute and say, why? OK, how do, how do we get out of that circular reasoning? Can a Jewish person still be Jewish and believe in Jesus? Well, I certainly do. And I certainly am. So I guess, uh, you know, I can be my own testimony in that regard. And I know I'm not alone. There's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Jewish people around the world. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here and say hundreds of thousands and maybe even worldwide approaching a million people who identify as either Jewish or having some Jewish background and also identify as believing that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Messiah. So the answer is yes. Why is this such a problem in the Jewish community at large? A few reasons. One, historically, um, you know, the first century believers, if you, if you crack open the New Testament, so much of what Jesus had to say to his disciples, so much of what those disciples who became apostles had to say to the first followers, so much of what Paul, who persecuted the early believers and then became a Jewish believer himself, had to say to the churches around the Mediterranean was, was really not creating new scriptures in a way. It was pulling from the old. It was pulling from what the Jewish community considered and still today considers as the Bible. And we mean the Torah and the prophets and the writings. So Genesis through Malachi kind of thing. That's the Jewish Bible. And these first century believers, Carly, understood that who Jesus was, what he said, what he did, including his death and his resurrection and his ascension to heaven, which was witnessed by hundreds of, of people uh, around 33 AD, was specific and direct fulfillment of what had already been promised by Moses, by the prophets. Um, and so th these believers didn't see any conflict in being Jewish and believing in Jesus. This was a natural fulfillment of what had been promised to the forefathers. This was God making good on the things he'd been saying since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Actually, even since Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, you know, I know I'm kind of talking a lot, but it's the first episode, so we have some ground to cover. You know, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin, right? And God's saying, these are going to be the curses, but he also paints this picture of restoration. And he says to the woman, from your seed will come one who will crush the head of the serpent, right? He's going to bruise your heel, but you and your seed, your zera, which is literally kind of sperm, like literally biologically, your seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. In essence, is going to put an end to everything the devil was trying to do to keep people from God. And then we see that promise come up again, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you and your seed will be blessed. And I'm going to make you a blessing to all the families of the earth. We'll talk a little bit more more about that in a few minutes. But this idea of this promise of redemption and salvation being carried through, not just through humanity at large, but through a specific people group called Israel that have this calling and this destiny, not just to be reconciled to relationship with God, but actually to proclaim that reconciliation and that in Hebrew, the word is Yeshua. And actually Jesus's Hebrew name, what his parents would have called him is Yeshua, which is the same root word to proclaim the Yeshua, the salvation of God, to the ends of the earth. And so 
the Jewish believers in the first century, even second century, despite tremendous persecution from those in the Roman community who were threatened politically by what they were doing, and also from their own people who didn't believe Jesus was Lord. Despite all of that, there was no conflict in Jewish identity. Third century, first, fourth century, you have things like Constantine, out of zeal to, to be a good Christian, to be a good follower of Jesus, start to turn the tables and start to say, you know what? Uh, not only do we see that Jewish people are by and large, not accepting this message, we actually believe that because they were so intimately involved in the death sentence of Jesus, his sentencing to be crucified on the cross, they're actually culpable. And because of that, we need to rid the church, to rid this worldwide growing body of believers of anything Jewish, because these people are cut off from God. Surely they didn't recognize him when he came. Surely they're accursed. Surely God's done with Israel and the Jewish people. And so third century, fourth century onward, Carly, you have these history, this centuries now millennia and counting of these terrible beliefs, uh, misinformed theologies and even atrocities committed specifically against the Jewish people in the name of Christ and Christianity. So historically, there's so much baggage for a Jewish person in even considering that Jesus is Lord, not because of the person of Jesus. We don't even get to the person of Jesus. We get stuck at the doors of Christianity, at the doors of the church. And your typical Jewish person is going to say, because of the Spanish Inquisition, because of the Holocaust, because of this stereotypical uh, insult that some person with a cross around their neck said to me on the streets of New York a few years ago, whatever it is, if all of that is what it means to be a Christian, I want nothing to do with it. In fact, it's a threat to who I am and what I stand for. So you have historical issues. You have the stigma of this idea that to believe in Jesus is going to take you out of your Jewish family. And unfortunately, uh, the more observant the Jewish family, the more that's true. People in some extreme cases uh, when Orthodox Jewish people become believers in Jesus, the family will actually have a funeral with an empty casket, representing the death of the soul of that Jewish person, who in essence has, has given up their Jewish soul and has become actually a traitor to the Jewish faith by believing in Jesus. So it's this idea of historical issues, uh, family baggage, the idea of us and them, uh, staying Jewish means don't believe in Jesus. And we're going to push through a lot of that and those misconceptions in this episode and throughout the entirety of this podcast. But it's important for our audience to understand that it's not as simple as saying, oh, yeah, Jesus did this and he said this. And obviously he's the Messiah. Sure, I'll become a Jewish believer in Jesus. There's a lot of baggage. And that actually for our, for our Christian audience listening is important to understand because many of you have a burden. Maybe you have family members, in-laws. Uh, maybe you yourself have a Jewish heritage and don't know what to do with that. Maybe you have Jewish friends, coworkers, and you say, you know, I feel like I should be sharing the Lord, but whenever I do it, it gets weird really fast. We're going to unpack that so you're better equipped to engage in a relational, truthful, honest way, gloves off kind of thing with Jewish friends, family members, coworkers about who Jesus is and what it really means to believe in him. So there's a not short at all answer, heavily caffeinated answer to, can a Jewish person be Jewish and still believe in Jesus? Not only can they, but that was the whole idea from Genesis onward. Yeah, I just wanna explain one thing before we move forward is if you've never heard of the term Messianic Jew, because mm -hmm. we'll probably be saying that a bunch of times. That's basically someone who, a Jewish person who believes in Jesus. So some of these misconceptions that we're going to go through are about Jewish people in general or specifically Messianic Jews. Um, so thinking specifically just back to Jewish people not who believe in Jesus, what is it that they think about Jesus? Was he a good man? Was he a rabbi? Was he misinformed? Like, what is their view? Not not the early ones, like you right. mentioned 
Bible, but like today's secular Jews. Sure. Carla, you have a couple of camps. The more religious or the more zealous, even if they're not religious, portion of the Jewish community is going to say, this man was misinformed. He was misguided. Maybe he was a little, as my grandma would say in Yiddish, meshugana, which means a little bit crazy. Uh, He said all this kind of stuff. And maybe Jesus wasn't really in his right mind. Um, So he's either crazy or he's a liar or he's a hypocrite. You know, there's all these things out there now that are unfortunately super popular, like the Da Vinci Code, right? That the whole thing's a scandal. Jesus secretly had this, you know, illicit relationship and it's been covered up. And the whole purpose of the church is to cover all of this up. So you have all these kinds of things out there. But that camp basically says Jesus was a fraud. Sure, he was crucified. That's not what's being argued. The idea of Jesus actually being nailed to a cross isn't the point of contention. The question is what happened afterwards. Mm. And if he was nailed to a cross, a portion of the Jewish community is going to say serves him right. He was a liar. He was a fraud. He was misguided. Maybe he was a little crazy. And he tried to pull our people away from the truths of Torah, from the truths of what it meant to be a Jewish person. Uh, obedient to the Lord. And then you have this other camp, um, primarily a less religious, more secular Jewish community that absolutely is committed to their Jewish identity, but may or may not believe that God exists. We'll talk more about that in a few, which is going to be more politically correct. They're not going to say Jesus was a liar and a fraud because who wants to hear that? They're certainly not going to say it to their Catholic or evangelical co-worker. I mean, it's like, you know, throwing a match into the, into the haystack, but they're going to say, well, Jesus was a prophet. He was a good teacher. He was a good man. Yeah, maybe a little bit misguided, but generally his teachings about peace on earth and goodwill towards men and love thy neighbor, all very good. Was he the Messiah? Mm, maybe for the Christians, yes. Not for us, but he's a good man. But the problem with that is we can't get there if we really look at the scriptures. And this is important, I think, for our audience to hear because more and more, Carly, everybody wants to be PC, right? You want to say the thing that nobody's going to disagree with and that you're really not saying anything so nobody can really disagree with you. And the the, the very PC thing to say, the very politically correct thing to say is Jesus was a good man. Maybe he was a prophet. Maybe he was sent from God. We don't know. He had good things to say and we should learn from them. But here's the problem. Jesus said the words, I and the Father are one. And so to a Jewish person who prays every day, and you, you, if you've read the Old Testament, you know this, Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one God. If Jesus said, I and the Father are one, the rabbis listening to him in the first century when he was alive on earth would have understood clearly he's saying, I am God. I'm God in a bod. I'm God in the flesh standing before you. And at that point, for a Jewish person who believes God exists, you're at a fork in the road because he's either telling the truth, which he would have to prove, or he's a heretic, not just a good teacher who's misinformed. Saying in first century Judaism and still in ultra-Orthodox Judaism, to proclaim oneself to be God is deserving of a stoning. Like Moses was clear, anybody who's setting up an idol, either themselves or something else, like get them out of the camp. They deserve death. And so Those who were listening to Jesus had this decision to make. It wasn't, yeah, he's a good man, I'm not sure. And still today, in reality, if we believe God exists, we have this decision to make. And for the Jewish community, there's a decision to make. He's either telling the truth, in which case he better do everything he said he did, his prophecies better come true, and he better be the fulfillment of a lot of scriptures about the Messiah, or he's deserving of death, he's a heretic, and he's accursed of the Lord. And so I want to just like put my finger on this middle ground. 
because it's a false middle ground. You can't do it. You know, and Jesus said, another one of the, the, the gospels says, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, right? Our father Abraham told us to do this. And our father Moses told us to do this. And Jesus looks at these rabbis and says, before Abraham was, I am. Okay, how does that work? Because Abraham's dead. So again, Jesus is, is making a statement which polarized the listeners. People either walked away or they believed on him. And how do we know that he meant what he said and that he was and is who he says he was? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, which the Gospels are clear and Paul tells us was witnessed by hundreds of believers over a period of 40-something days before Jesus ascends uh, from the Mount of Olives to be with the Father. So just to be super clear, like there is no middle ground. Jesus is either the Messiah or he was a liar who, according to Jewish custom, deserved death. And the only way we know he's the Messiah is his resurrection from the dead. There's no, if Jesus, and Paul says it, right? He says, if Jesus was not resurrected from the dead, if the Messiah wasn't resurrected, we're to be pitied more than any man on the face of the earth because we're believing in one who's a liar. But we know that he was resurrected. We believe the scriptures through faith that hundreds saw him over this period of a few weeks and that the scriptures are true, that in fact, he's the fulfillment of the promises about the Messiah. So we, we at this podcast throw out, we reject the middle ground in a rare politically incorrect move on our part in this day and age. We reject the middle ground that Jesus was just a misguided good man who, who, uh, whose messiahship should be rejected, but his teaching should be received. It's not possible. Yeah, I, I'm, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Yep, so, that's, that's exactly right. right. That's yeah. exactly right. Those are, the, right. those are the options. Okay, so next misconception is about blessing Israel. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this movement, I stand with Israel. You know, uh, lots of Christians are doing that. The misconception is you can bless Israel while agreeing that they don't need the gospel, they don't need Jesus, they have their own way. Right. Yeah, it's a good, it, it's complex. So I got to boil my answer down here and stop sipping the coffee, Carly. Yeah, and this uh, is one actually that we're both going to answer. I'm going to answer this same one next week. Yeah, so my answer is going to be a very Jewish one, okay? Yes and no. Yes, you can bless Israel by praying for Israel, by supporting Jewish people in need around the world, by advocating politically for the Jewish people's right to the homeland, which is to a Jewish homeland, which we understand to be the modern state of Israel, the political entity of a state of Israel in the Middle East. Uh, you can bless Israel those ways. Um, you can be a blessing. But can you fully bless Israel without the good news? Well, if we know that the whole point, right, the whole idea was God was going to manifest his Yeshua, his salvation through the Jewish people, then in a way, our Jewish people, I'm going to say something super politically incorrect here. Uh, many of my Jewish family might react at this moment, but that's okay. Here we are. We're walking in a bit of a half-life until and unless we receive our Messiah. Because from Genesis on, we understood that redemption was coming. And from Genesis 12 with Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob on, we understood redemption is coming through our people, through a Messiah. And we believe that Jesus is that redemption, is that salvation, and that he's come. And according to the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, there will be a day when he comes again. And so unless and until a Jewish person receives that message, and we know there's blinders on the eyes of the Jewish people until they're lifted by the Spirit of God. It's not something we can sort of come up with on our own. And we receive that message, that good news through the eyes of faith and through ears that hear and a heart that, that understands. But until that happens, 
uh, we're living a half-life. We're walking out an identity without exhibiting and owning at a heart level and a spirit level what that really means. And so I would say you can't fully bless Jewish people without proclaiming the gospel. And this idea that Jewish people don't need the gospel is unfortunately more and more politically correct. Just like Jesus was a teacher, he's a good man. Carly, this is the convenient middle ground. And it's not just some idea in one denomination of Christianity or something we're talking about on this podcast. Believe it or not, Pope Francis, and let me pause here. I appreciate a lot of the justice he's done in the earth. I appreciate the reforms he's doing in the Catholic Church to call them back to really walk the walk the talk. That's awesome. That being said, he made a very unfortunate decision, in my opinion, in 2015. He released a document mid-late 2015 from the Vatican that was a version of what we can call dual covenant theology. And that very fancy theological term means Christians have their way to salvation and the Jews have their own way. In essence, the Jews have a path that's going to land them in heaven, that's going to reconcile them and restore them to God apart from belief in Jesus the Messiah. Now, according to the scriptures, Acts 4.12 says there's salvation is found in no one else. It's very clear because there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And it doesn't say there's no other name under heaven given to Gentiles by which we must be saved. Given to men, given to mankind, Jew and Gentile alike, we're all under sin, being justified freely by the grace that's in Yeshua the Messiah, Romans says, which is an encapsulation of a very Old Testament idea that the Jewish people have come short of the commandments of God and that we're in need of redemption, we're in need of a sacrifice, in need of a savior. So dual covenant theology, which the Pope aligned himself with, in essence said, don't worry about the Jews. We bless the Jews. We appreciate them. We're going to stand with them. But the idea that Jews need Jesus is false. And that, in my opinion, was a major misstep of the Catholic Church and of the worldwide community. Again, very politically correct. The rabbis were very happy to get that message because it just affirms this idea that Jesus is for the Christians and the Jews have their own way. But, uh, Carly, I can't read the Bible and come up with that conclusion. So, Again, in a majorly politically incorrect move on this first full podcast, I'm going to say I disagree with Pope Francis on that issue. You need to, if you're going to bless Israel, you need to bless Israel with the news of eternal life and reconciliation with God through none other than Jesus. And, you know, I'm thinking of one more scripture before you ask the next hot seat question here. Deuteronomy 18, 15. Moses is talking to the, the children of Israel. And in essence, Moses is God's is the connection between the Jewish people and God, right? In the wilderness. He's he's the prophet. He's the priest in a way. He's the one. He's the guy. But Moses turns to the children of Israel and says, the Lord's going to raise up a prophet from among your midst. And in essence, the idea is one who will be greater even than me. And Moses says, listen to him. It's a great verse. Check it out. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord will raise up a prophet from among your children. Listen to him. And he's talking about Jesus. Moses saw the Messiah and said, you better listen to him. Don't reject what he says. Don't reject who he is. That's a great answer that hopefully we'll unpack more next week as well. Mm -hmm. um, so the next question, which I think you've pretty much answered, but every Jewish, Jewish person or Messianic Jew believes the same thing. Yeah. Well, I guess my question back to you is, Carly, does every Christian believe the same thing? Absolutely not. No, right? There's fundamentals, I would say, right? There's this idea of fundamentals of the faith, right? Christians generally believe that Jesus is Lord. Now, what you believe about Mary and the afterlife and the end times and communion, there's all these differences. But Christians are united based on a couple fundamental beliefs. 
regardless of how you come down on the other things. In the same way, the Jewish community is united on this idea that we have this history. Now, what's interesting about the Jewish community is it's both a religious system or a religion and it's an ethnicity. So in that way, it's very different from Christianity, right? Because Christianity isn't an ethnicity. You're not born Christian. At least most denominations don't think you are. I'm not going to touch that one with the 10-foot pole. Anyway, generally, the idea isn't that you're born a Christian. Uh, You might be born into a Christian family, but you yourself aren't. Different in Judaism. If your father or your mother, and we'll unpack exactly more of this actually in a few minutes, uh, if you're born into an ethnically Jewish family, you're Jewish, or at least you have a Jewish lineage. And then there's the idea of the Jewish faith. And these two things, by and large, go hand in hand, but not exclusively. So two of the main questions that any Jewish person is going to have to answer when they come to maybe bar mitzvah age, if you will, the age of accountability, are these. Does God exist? Yes or no? You can be Jewish. Carla, you can be super Jewish. Like I'm thinking of uh, 30 to 50 percent of Israelis, believe it or not of the millions of Jewish people living in the land of Israel may or may not believe God exists, but they are committed to living and dying as Jews because it's their identity, it's their culture, it's their family, it's their ethnicity. So the first question you have to answer is, does God exist? And the second question you have to answer is, if he does, is the Bible really the inspired word from heaven of God, or is it a storybook about the Jewish people? So what you believe about God And what you believe about the Torah or the Bible, the Old Testament as we call it, but the Bible as the Jewish community calls it, will define then where you go. And even after that, there's hundreds of branches of Judaism. There's ultra-Orthodox and conservative and secular and reform. And in Israel, there's a thing called uh, nationally religious, which means you're sort of religious, but you're more Israeli religious than you're religiously religious. Anyway, we won't unpack all of that. So Um, The bottom line, to answer your question, is not every Jew believes the same thing. And in a similar way, in the Messianic Jewish community, as you defined it so well, believers in Jesus who identify as Jewish, some of my friends are committed to a very Torah-observant lifestyle. Like, they'll keep the Shabbats. Um, They're going to only eat uh, kosher. They're going to do certain things that are prescribed for Israel in the Old Testament out of a conviction that that's obedience to God. Not an idea that it's heaven or hell, righteousness versus sin, but out of obedience. Other friends of mine um, may or may not keep kosher. They may worship on Sunday instead of Saturday. You know, it may be very important for them to have their kids learn the Hebrew language and have a bar mitzvah, and it may not be so important. So uh, even within the Jewish believing community, you have a variety of beliefs. We're going to unpack some of those things in the subsequent dozens of episodes, hopefully. But generally, the answer is no. Not every Jew and not every Messianic Jew believe the same thing. The key difference between the Jewish community at large and the Messianic Jewish community is generally the Jewish community at present. We believe this will change someday, according to what Zechariah and others saw and Jesus himself. Generally, the Jewish community rejects the idea that Jesus is the Messiah and the Messianic community as a whole, regardless of how their lifestyle looks, accept and embrace the idea that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So you just mentioned the Bible or the Torah and the Jewish scriptures, which I'm sure is an important part of the Jewish religion. Um, So do all Jewish people know the Torah? Uh, (laughs) I'm going to do the same thing. Do all Christians know the Bible? Uh, Not really. The Jewish people, like kind of one of our our nicknames or so to speak, whatever pseudonyms is, is the people of the book, right? Because there's this idea that, Part of us being Jewish is 
keeping Torah, memorizing Torah, reciting Torah, living a Torah observant lifestyle. And that's true among a portion of the Jewish community. But for our listeners who maybe are intimidated even to talk to a Jewish person about the things of faith, because you think they're going to like quote you all 613 commandments in the first five books of the Bible, and they're going to quote you 13 quotes from the prophets, and you're not going to know what to do. Listen, generally, that's absolutely not the case. Generally, if you have any kind of uh, theological training or not even that, if you have any kind of just personal study of the Old and New Testament, you are at least on par, if not far beyond where the average American or Canadian Jewish person is. The average uh, person, again, with exceptions in the religious community, studied portions of the first five books of the Bible to prepare for their bar or bat mitzvah, their ceremony in the synagogue or the temple, kind of their coming of age ceremony when they turn 12 or 13. They do that. They memorize the portion of scripture they need to. They do a little Hebrew school out of obligation. And then that's it. They may or may not set foot in the door of a synagogue except once, twice, three times a year during their teenage years and their adult years. So not every Jewish person knows the Torah. Not every Jewish person knows the Bible. They'll probably be surprised if you know the Old Testament and the Torah. Uh, you could have a very interesting conversation because they're going to say to you very likely, how do you know our scriptures? And then you can have that conversation. Well, actually, your scriptures are my scriptures because I believe I'm grafted into this olive tree. And I'm so thankful, you know, that the Jewish people brought brought faith and salvation to me, a Gentile. I mean, it's going to blow a Jewish person's mind if you have that kind of a conversation. Right. Just like you said, though, I mean, Christians go through the same thing. They go through their. For me, I was raised Catholic. So communion, whatever. I knew enough stories in the Bible to get by, but right. didn't deeply know the Bible. Sure. So um, before we move on to the next question, which we're going to unpack, is someone Jewish if their father is Jewish or their mother is Jewish? What makes them Jewish? Mm -hmm. uh, stay tuned to hear the answer to that question. But first, we want to tell you about a way you can support this podcast. As this is our first episode, uh, we want you to come alongside us as we unpack all of these different topics with you. Uh, and we want you to partner with us monthly. So Ezra, will you tell everyone about how they can do that? Yeah, Carly, we're super excited about the awesome ministries we get to partner with that are serving Jewish communities and their neighbors, not only in America, not only in Israel, but actually to what we consider even today is the ends of the earth, communities in Ethiopia, communities in Zimbabwe, communities in India, communities in South America of Jewish people. Some of those needs are emotional, some are spiritual, some are physical. Some people are just dying because they don't have access to basic medical care in places like Ethiopia and Zimbabwe um, among communities that are still waiting to return home to Israel but have uh, lived and in some cases suffered and died for centuries just for keeping a Jewish identity that their fathers handed down to them. And Carly, we love standing with those communities. We love serving them in the name of Yeshua, in the name of Jesus. And if you feel kind of a tug on your heart to get involved in serving and blessing those communities, not just blessing to do good, but blessing with good to earn the right to share the gospel, we want to invite you to get involved with us through this podcast. Uh, Carly, $30 a month or so gets somebody uh, involved in reaching Jewish communities around the world. The details are on our website, www.ajewandagentiledisgust.org. But in, as a response, uh, or I should say as a thank you to our listeners for getting involved, we want to get you some delicious, delicious, ever-precious, uh, high-grade Ethiopian coffee. It's coffee sourced from Ethiopia, a nation near and dear to our hearts. We've been working through our partner ministries there for over 20 years, serving the Jewish community and their neighbors. And 
uh, get involved with us monthly. Uh, maybe it's going to cost you a couple cups of coffee at wherever you purchase it. I'm not going to name any name brands for fear of legal action, but wherever you go, whether it's green or not, uh, a couple cups of coffee a month sewn into Jewish ministry uh, will get you involved. And as a thank you, we want to get you a bag or so of coffee as often as you want it. So check out the details on our website at jewandagentiledisgust.org. And thank you for thinking about partnering with us. So let's jump right back into the misconceptions. Like I mentioned, the first one is what is it really that makes someone Jewish? Is it if their father's Jewish or their mother's Jewish or what? Yeah. And so here's my Jewish answer to your Jewish question. Uh, Both and both plus then some. So uh, I was sensitive to the time here real quickly. In the Bible, we see that a Jewish identity is primarily carried through by the father, right? So-and-so was the son of so-and-so who was the son of so-and-so. Even Matthew Uh, We know that Jesus was born of Miriam, of the Virgin Mary, and that the Father was actually the Holy Spirit, right, who overshadowed Mary and deposited this God DNA inside this um, Jewish woman, this Jewish teenager, really. But yet Jesus' identity as a Jew is laid out in Matthew as Jesus, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. So we understand, according to the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, that Jewish identity was passed down through the fathers. Okay, Now I'll blow your minds. This day and age, according to rabbinic Judaism, Jewish identity is passed down through the mother. Well, what changed? Because of persecution, because of scattering of Jewish people, before there was DNA and before there were lie detectors and before we really knew how to know what exactly was going on, and because of persecution, and it's kind of a a gruesome detail, Carly, but because of the systematic, in some cases, rape of Jewish communities when they were captured and people attempted to kind of assimilate them into the the capturing community, uh, the idea was you can never know who the father is, but you can know who the mother is because obviously people see the mother give birth. Uh, You know who gave birth to who. You don't know who made who pregnant. And so because of that really difficult history for our people, the rabbis transferred that Jewish identity to be, um, according to rabbinic Judaism, through the mother. And so um, today, if you have a Jewish father, even 100 percent, effectively 100 percent, nobody's really exactly 100, but by and large, uh, close to 100 percent Jewish father and a Gentile mother, rabbinically, you're not considered Jewish. Now, you can convert through the rabbinic system to Judaism, and a lot of people in that situation do, because especially in the States right now, there's so many mixed marriages with one Jewish parent and one Gentile. But uh, if your mother's Jewish and your father isn't, you're considered rabbinically Jewish. If your father's Jewish and your mother isn't, you're not. That being said, to round out the question, um, how does Israel accept somebody as a uh, eligible to return to Israel, to make Aliyah. And that term means in Hebrew to go up. It's to go up to the land of Israel, to go up to Jerusalem. And it really means in our terms to immigrate to the land of Israel and become a citizen. How does Israel determine eligibility? This is going to sound really weird. Again, I'm going to blow your minds in the same way that Hitler did. Why? And what do I mean by that? Hitler said everybody who's even the grandchild of a Jewish person is, as far as he was concerned, Jewish and needed to be annihilated. And so in like manner, 
Israel, which was designed to be a protection and a homeland, a safe haven for the Jewish people, apply the same principle. So since the establishment of the modern state of Israel, anybody with at least one Jewish grandparent is considered not necessarily rabbinically Jewish, but eligible to immigrate to Israel and to be protected there as a Jewish person or as the descendant of a Jew. Um, and so interestingly, if you identify rabbinically Jewish people in the world, you have about 13 or 15 million. If you identify people with at least one Jewish grandparent who are eligible to return to the state of Israel, over 22 million. Wow. So big gap. But there's a, there's a long Jewish answer to your short question. If there's anything that someone learned from this podcast, it was how Israel identifies Jewish people according to the same way Hitler did. That yeah. would be something new. Interesting thing. Okay, next, this is this could be a whole podcast. So how, how you can answer this in a short way, I don't really know. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, the Jews are referred to as God's chosen people. Right. So the misconception or the thought is the Jews are better than everyone else. Right. And look, I, I get it. As much as generally as a Jewish person, my tendency when I hear that is to be kind of a little bit uncomfortable, maybe even offended if I haven't had my coffee. Why? How can you say that? I get it. People look at the Jewish community, they feel like it's isolated, it's generally maybe sometimes fearful of things that aren't Jewish, uh, living in somewhat closed communities, especially among the religious. I get the misperception. But the real question is, under, underneath the idea of better than everyone else is this idea of the term chosen people, right? Like if we peel it away, somebody comes up to me and says, you just think you're better than everyone else. Well, why do you say that? And they may give some reasons about how, you know, the Jews control the media or Jewish people are wealthy or whatever. Okay, let's unpack the stereotypes. And pretty quickly in the conversation, you're going to get to this idea. Well, you just say you're the chosen people. And this, like you said, could be a whole podcast or 10. Real quickly, what does it mean to be the chosen people? What were we chosen for? If you ask my grandma, she'd say we were chosen to suffer. She's 98 years old. God has preserved her health and her life thankfully, but she lived through the Holocaust as an, I mean, not as a victim of the Holocaust. She was in America, but she knew relatives who disappeared and she would say we're chosen to suffer. Others would say we're chosen to obey God and to isolate ourselves and to stay holy. Uh, I would say neither of those. We were chosen. Genesis 12, three, look it up. It's an important verse. You might know the first half of it, but you don't know the second. We were chosen to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And God says in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, uh, in a couple places in the New Testament, when the believers are speaking to Jewish believers, there's this idea that we were chosen. He says, Israel, you're my witnesses. In essence, gather all the nations together, it says in Isaiah, which nation can testify of my mighty hand and outstretched arm and merciful loving kindness? There isn't one except one, Israel. And he says, you, Israel, are my witnesses of my justice, of my mercy, of my power. And so, we're chosen to bless all the other families of the earth. We're chosen to be God's servants and even a servant to other people because he's delivered us from slavery in Egypt. So we have this awareness of people on earth that are suffering and the need to help. And you'll see Israel still express that in terms of natural disasters around the world today by sending people in relief. Uh, that's why this idea that at one time we were in need and God delivered us so we can be a hand of blessing and help. But chosen to serve, chosen to be witnesses, uh, chosen to represent the holiness and the merciful loving kindness of God in a fallen world. This is what we're called to do. By and large, we've missed it in every generation because God also says we're a stiff-necked and a hard-hearted people. And I will say, knowing a bit of my own heart, that's true, which is why I need Yeshua, why I need Jesus. But what we were really chosen to be 
is a blessing to everyone else on the face of the earth. So if you can have that conversation with the person who's yelling at you, you're just better than everybody else. They're probably just going to stop talking because yeah. the idea is, no, I'm supposed to serve everybody else. And, and I think of, in a later podcast, we'll unpack the role of the Gentiles as well. Right. Exactly. The, exactly. the Jews have a role. The Gentiles have a role. So yeah, neither one can do the other's part, but both are essential in terms of what God wants to do in the earth in the coming years. So yeah, we will right. unpack that. Yeah. Okay. So this next one is something I've I've wondered since my own uh, church history days when I first started learning about Judaism. There was all of these commandments, like over six hundred commandments. Right. So do the Jews have to follow all of those commandments still to this day? Yeah, there's six hundred and thirteen to be exact. Uh, so like the kosher cafe here in Phoenix is uh, the 613 cafe. And it, that's a random uh, name. But that's what it's it's referring yeah. to. The 613 commandments found between Genesis and Deuteronomy. And then the rabbis in every generation in, an, in a zeal to make sure Israel doesn't break these commandments has formed books, like literal printed books that are memorized by uh, very religious Jewish people about uh, how not only to not break those commandments, but to put a series of fences around them so that you don't even get close to breaking them. So rabbinic Judaism is a system that says, how do we keep the mitzvot? How do we keep the commandments of God in a fallen world where we're a, a minority people amidst uh, a world that has no interest in the holiness of God or in keeping his, his ways? Um, and you have all these religious systems developed to do that. But do Jews have to follow the 613 commandments? Um, I'm going to avoid that question for now because it's a very complex one. But what I am going to say is this. Another, you know, head explosion emoticon. You ready? It's not possible. It's not possible. Why do I say that? Because hundreds of those commandments have to do with a sacrificial system, either through a tabernacle in the wilderness where Israel's journeying together or a temple in Jerusalem, in the physical city of Jerusalem. Well, the tabernacle's gone, and we don't know where the pieces are. I think the Ark of the Covenant is still somewhere on earth, maybe under the Temple Mount. Who knows? I think we'll, we'll know it when we need to know it. But there is no physical temple right now in Jerusalem, Carly. There's a, there's a Muslim mosque and a shrine called the Dome of the Rock on the site of where the Second Temple, Solomon's Temple, stood. So I'm avoiding your question by giving, I hope, an educational answer to our audience. It is not possible today for a Jewish person to keep the 613 commandments. Whether we have to or not, we can't. And so rabbinic Judaism, in the, for the last two millennia since the temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, has been this ongoing dialogue of how, are, how do we maintain holiness to God, which he's called us to do, apart from the ability to offer sacrifices in the temple. And we understand as believers that there was one sacrifice. Hebrews is a great book about this. I believe it was actually written primarily to Jewish believers in the first century. But Hebrews unpacks this, the idea that Jesus is our great high priest. He is the lamb, that there, you know, the, the lambs and the bulls and the goats that had to be offered have to be offered every day, every year, and it's never enough. But Jesus once and for all offered his own blood, not in the physical temple in Jerusalem, but in the temple in heaven. And so what's been what's incomplete on earth has actually been completed in heaven. And we exist here in the in-between with a Jewish identity, uh, looking forward to the days when Jesus will rule and reign on earth, but also recognizing that we are righteous and reconciled to God because the work of the sacrifice lamb, namely Yeshua, Jesus, has been completed in the temple in heaven. So do we have to? 
complex question. Can we? No, we can't. Do we have a redemption that covers us in terms of righteousness and good standing with God? Yes, we do. And his name is Yeshua. Good. So I'm just going to move on so we can get through the rest of these. Uh, one question is, if you have Jewish heritage, you talked about how Judaism, unlike Christianity, is both a religion and a heritage. If you have, if you are Jewish because of your background, is your religion automatically Jewish? No. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a very New York. I grew up in Western New York, so I'm going to give you a very New York Jewish answer. Your religion's whatever you want it to be, right? Exactly. Nobody tells us what to do kind of thing. So what do I mean by that? Yes, there's pressure. Be Jewish, stay Jewish, have some kind of religious identity as a Jew. But that takes many expressions. And actually, you know, um, the Pew Research Center, Carly, in 2000, I think about 2013, give or take, so don't quote me on that, but Pew Research did a survey, and I encourage our listeners to look it up online, called A Portrait of Jewish Americans. And one of the super interesting things, especially for us on this podcast, was that they you know, surveyed a couple thousand people, and they extrapolated that data, and what they found is that it's possible that as many as 945,000 people in American churches, Catholic, evangelical, otherwise, 945,000 people who identify religiously as Christian, either nominal or committed or whatever, actually have a Jewish grandparent. So Israel would say, you're eligible to live in the Jewish homeland, but they would say, that's great. My father, my grandmother, whatever, they were Jewish, I'm a Christian. So the answer is no, and it also tells us that, you know, it's one of the main reasons we do this podcast is because uh, as a Christian, if you're in any kind of a medium or large-sized church, chances are somebody you're worshiping with who identifies as a Christian, if you get to know them, they're going to say, yeah, I, I have a Jewish I have a Jewish background, or, well, I'm Christian. Okay, what about your family? Well, my grandmother was Jewish. Okay, what does that make you? Well, I'm, I'm uh, Lutheran. I'm Methodist. I'm charismatic. So uh, super interesting question. We'll unpack that more in future episodes. But no, it doesn't automatically mean because you're ethnically Jewish, you religiously are. And there's hundreds of thousands or more of Christians in the, in the U.S. who actually have a Jewish background. Okay, so lastly, you know, often when people think of Jews, probably everyone in our audience, if someone says, you know, think of your stereotypical Jewish person, they would think of something depending on where they live. Um, most people think of Jews living in Europe, Israel, or North America. Uh -huh. Do most Jews primarily live in those three places? Uh, yes and no. Another Jewish answer. The majority of the world's Jewish population does live in the three places you just said. Europe, Israel, and North America. And I'm including Russia in Europe, just you know, to kind of generalize here. Uh, hundreds of thousands of Jewish people still in Russia, uh, which is a huge country. So they're scattered throughout. Uh, eight time zones of Russia. But uh, believe it or not, Carly, there's millions who live outside of Europe, Israel, and North America. There's hundreds of thousands of Jews living in Australia. There's hundreds of thousands living in Argentina, in Uruguay, in Chile. Uh, you have a sizable Jewish community in Mexico. You have Jews. Now I'm really going to blow people's minds. You have a Jewish community in India, both on the southwest coast and in northeast India unrelated to each other other than that they both identify as Jewish, but living in the borders of India. Uh, you have Jewish people in China, the Kaifeng Jewish community who identifies as historically from Israel. You have the Lemba tribe in Zimbabwe and South Africa and Zambia, uh, who we work with through our partner ministries. You have the Beta Israel or House of Israel and Beta Avraham, House of Abraham, uh, 
maybe 70,000 plus if you uh, are generous in your inclusions, maybe over 100,000 still living in the land of Ethiopia, and now over 140,000 living in the land of Israel. They've immigrated in the last 40 years. So uh, the majority live in the places you said, but there are Jewish people literally scattered to the ends of the earth. And God was very clear. I'm going to scatter you to all nations, in some translations, it says, at least to most nations, but I'll regather you from there. So one of my favorite things to do is to learn about uh, Jewish communities that maybe were lost to the worldwide consciousness, but they've never been lost to themselves and are now emerging saying, we never forgot and we believe God never forgot who we are. So hundreds of thousands, maybe millions living outside of the areas that we would typically identify as mainline Jewish communities. Well, Ezra, you made it through the 10 hot seat questions today. Wow, I'm, I'm celebrating with another sip of coffee. To our audience, thanks so much for listening. Seriously, we, we want you to be engaged. We want to answer your questions. We want to talk about the things you want to talk about. Um, so if you have any questions for us, you can go to a Jew and a Gentile org. And I also just want to remind you, as Ezra just mentioned, that there's Jewish people scattered all over the world. Those are the people that we help. Um, with the ministries and organizations we partner with. We uh, bring medical care and the good news of their Messiah to them. Um, So if you want to partner with us through this podcast, we'll, like Ezra mentioned before, we'll send you a thank you gift of the Ethiopian coffee, which comes right from one of the places that we minister to. Um, You can do that at ajunagentiledisgust.org. But before we close today, one of the things we're going to be doing is taking questions Uh, from our audience uh, so that we can answer the things that you want to talk about. But since this is our first podcast, we're going to answer a question that people have often asked us specifically about Jesus, which is, did Jesus have a bar mitzvah? So, you know, like you mentioned, he had a Jewish background. Is that something he participated in? Yeah. Final Jewish answer for today. Yes and no. The school of thought that says yes is, you know, we know in the Gospels, right, the story that Jesus was about 12 years old and his parents are in Jerusalem and they can't find him and they find him with the rabbis and he's in essence engaging the rabbis as a leader, right? He's speaking with this authority that no one understands and he's 12 years old, which in Jewish thought is the age of accountability. This is the age at which you become responsible to keep and to teach the Torah if you believe God exists and you believe we're responsible for keeping his commandments, um, which of course... Yeshua did. He was the embodiment of the fulfillment of Torah, we know according to the scriptures. So yes, he was in the temple around this age of accountability. And when his parents came and said, what are you doing? He said, you knew I'd be about my father's business, right? Uh, he's in essence saying, "I'm. this is it now. I'm of the age of accountability. I got to do what God's calling me to do. My obedience to the Lord uh, is the primary thing in my life. So that's the yes. The no is the idea of a bar mitzvah, like we understand it, right, of the suit and the party and everybody gives cards and cash and the Jewish kid, you know, reads uh, a portion of the Torah and then everybody applauds and there's a lot of liturgy that no one understands, but you go because it's a good party. That did not exist until centuries later. So with Jesus in the temple around the time that he reached the age of accountability, yes. Did he have the ceremony of of a bar mitzvah in the way that we understand it today? Probably not. Didn't look anything close like that. So there's the Jewish answer for today. We could have named this podcast Yes and No, and that would have basically we been. We should have. Yes and yeah. No to best. That's right. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sticking with us today and for listening. If you want to hear more episodes, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
Um, like I said, we'd love if you ask questions on our website, uh, leave us a review, share this podcast with someone you know, either Jew or Gentile. Uh, you can follow us on social media. And um, if you if you want to partner with us, you can join us at a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. Again, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll catch up with you next week on another episode. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. I wanted to quickly let you know about a special video episode we recorded where we actually blind taste test the Lost Tribes coffee. Watch and see if Ezra and I can guess which coffee is Lost Tribes among five others. Check that out on our website. The show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.